Father, I just thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather with your people. And God, we thank you uh, for your great story of redemption. Uh, Father, we ask that you would um, help us to, uh, to get the big picture of what you're doing uh, in the world and through people and your prophets and your kings and uh, God, everything that we find in the Bible. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to, to create a category in our mind that we might rightly interpret the scriptures and we might be able to tell your story. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us. Please give us a good spirit of fellowship and, and love and grace toward one another. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, if you open up your uh, binder there, what you're going to find is um, some guiding principles um, on page, uh, let's see, let's see how that goes. Uh, okay. Yeah, some guiding principles uh, to the God story. Uh, first of all, our goal is to be able to tell God's story of redemption by tracing the major themes and stories of the Bible. Now, what exactly do we mean by be able to tell God's story? Okay, well, imagine if, uh, let's just say you, uh, uh, you're at Walmart, you meet somebody and you get into an in-depth uh, conversation about salvation and they, they say, well, you know, I, just, I don't know anything about the Bible. Tell me the story of the Bible. And so I want to ask you, I just ask yourself right now, could you do that? Could you do that? Um, let me tell you where this all came to, to fruition is uh, we were at a conference. We had a training, a missionary uh, training, and there was pastors and there were some laymen there as well. And we were in a little circle, okay? We were around a round table, a little circle. There was about five or six of us. And the leader of the group said, all right, we're going we're gonna to take about a half an hour, and we're going to tell, tell God's story, you know? And, and, and so he says, you know, Jason, you want to begin? And I was like, what do you mean, tell God's story? He said, no, just, just begin. Begin in the beginning and tell the story, you know? And so I was like, well, you know, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and and then he created, you know, Adam and, and, and then took a rib and they created Eve and, 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 you know, I was going on and, and finally I was like, you know, how, how, is this what you want? You want me to, and he's like, yeah, that's great. He said, why don't you stop and go to the next person? And so then the next person took over and, and, uh, they said, uh, well, after God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden paradise and, and then, uh, they were, uh, everything was perfect. And, uh, Hey guys, there's uh, a couple booklets here. Come up here, Kenny. Doc, here. There you go. There you go. Um, <clears throat> so uh, they said, well, you know, uh, the serpent came in and tempted uh, Eve, and she gave the fruit to her husband, and they ate, and then they fell. And, and, and so anyway, they went for a little while, and, and then, then the next person took over, and then the next person, and the next person However, um, which, you know, we, we were kind of struggling to kind of get our heads around all of that. But interestingly enough, there were, there were some folks there that weren't pastors, um, and, uh, but they were, they were serious-minded, um, biblical students of the Word, great servants in their church, Sunday school teachers. And, and there was one lady in particular, and, and, and it, was, it, was, it was so intimidating to her. She would pass every time we went around, you know, and one time she said, you know, we're like, you, you know the story. And she would say a little bit, she had passed and, and, and long story short, she didn't come back the next day. That was it, you know, and, and I think it's just because it was, it was really intimidating for her. Okay. 
And so what, what we were already doing in our children's ministry, if you'll notice on page two, you're going to see some icons, and uh, it goes from creation all the way down to the second coming. What we were already doing, we've been doing this in our children's ministry for quite some time. We've been, we've been teaching them the story of the Bible, okay? So we, we, we do this every, right now, over at Team Kids, they just completed this, okay? So every time we start Team Kids, we, we, we have this chant, you know, creation, fall, flood, promises, exes, kings, prophets, you know, we, we go through the whole thing, and we actually got to go through it slower um, so that we can uh, um, uh, talk about what each one means. But they, they learned that, and, and the reason that we wanted to do that is what we, what we found was traditionally, especially in Southern Baptist churches, you, you have uh, Sunday school, and you have uh, training, and you have preaching, but a lot of times it is not at all in sequence, right? So you might have a sermon on David and Goliath, on one, one, or you might have a Sunday school lesson. This is not so much with preaching, because I pretty much preach through books, but, but, but you might have a, a Sunday school lesson on David and Goliath, and the next week your, your Sunday school lesson might be on Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the next week your Sunday school lesson might be on Nehemiah building the wall. And the next week, your, your Sunday school lesson might be on Abraham and Isaac. You see what I'm saying? Isn't that true? And, and, and there's a lot of folks that know all of those stories. They have no idea how they connect together. You, you see what I'm saying? So that's the purpose of these four weeks, okay? What we want to do is we want to give this, this overview and, and, and give you a framework in which you can begin to plug in the stories of redemption. And what I hope that you'll be able to do at the, at the end of four weeks is I hope that you, we're, hopefully we'll spend three weeks, we'll see how tonight goes, three weeks talking about God's story of redemption through the Bible and just learning it in the framework that, that you have before you. And then the last week, hopefully we'll talk about how to tell your story and how to tell the gospel story, okay? And by the gospel story, I mean a gospel presentation of salvation by grace through faith, okay? So hopefully our, our goal is this, in the four weeks, one month from now, if you'll come every Wednesday, my goal is that you be able to sit down with your kids, your grandkids, somebody at Walmart, somebody from another country, and you'll be able to, in about 20 minutes, tell them the story of the Bible, the story of God's redemption, and, and then finish by telling them your own story of how you came in line with God's story, how you, how you came to know Jesus as your king, and be able to present to them a, a, a kind of a, a logical presentation. Here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we all on board there? Okay, so that, that's kind of our goal, Okay. Um, second uh, guiding principle there is our purpose is an overview. Okay, we will not linger long on any passage of scripture. Um, if you came tonight um, wanting an in-depth Bible study, you're going to be really disappointed. You probably won't come back next week, so go ahead and give your binder to somebody else, and we won't have to make another one. Okay, uh, but and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just if you came wanting an in-depth Bible study, we're just not going to do that. There's no way. There's absolutely no way we couldn't get through Genesis. One through three in four weeks doing an in-depth Bible study. There's a, you're probably going to get through one and two. Okay, so we're not going to do that at all. Okay, that is not what we're doing. What we're doing is again we're we're tracing the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to give you a framework in which you're going to be able to tell that story. Okay, so so we're not going to linger long on any passage. The third guiding principle there is that the major stories of the Bible um, are not dis the, the major themes of the Bible are not distributed equally through the scriptures. Now, I guess somebody could argue against that. Um, like, I, I don't know that I can, I can prove that to you because you would have to, you'd have to decide on what the major themes of the Bible are, but I, I think I, I, I could defend it well, but the major ones we're going to look at are not distributed equally. Okay. For instance, we're going to try to get through creation, fall, flood, and promises today. Okay. All four of those are in Genesis. Okay. 
So we're, we're only going to get to one book of the Bible, all right? Now, the next week, next week when you come, we're going to go through Exodus, Kings, and Prophets. That is the rest of the Old Testament, okay? So today we're doing one book of the Bible. You know, the, uh, next Wednesday, we're doing 38, okay? So does that make sense, all right? Uh, and that, that's just the way it is uh, because we're trying to trace the major themes of the Bible. We're going to leave some things out. For instance, we, we, don't, we don't have a category really for exile. You know, the exile was a huge deal in the Old Testament, but really it fits into the kings and the prophets section. Okay, so we're going to talk about it, but but in other words, the, these themes aren't the same. Now, then we take another big jump. Okay, once we get into the New Testament, we're going to do incarnation, kingdom, cross, and resurrection. Okay, now all four of those things are in what? They're in the Gospels. They're in the four Gospels. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the other two, church and second coming. That's the rest of the New Testament. All right, so obviously we're this is not a survey of the Bible. Okay? So, by the way, if you came and wanted a survey of the Bible, uh, you need to come to, I think uh, David and Paula are doing a Bible study on Thursday nights going through the entire Bible in a year, 52 weeks. And they're they're having to cook to do that, all right? I mean, just really busted to get through it. So, you can do that in 52 weeks. You can't do that in four weeks. We're not doing a survey of the Bible. What we're doing is we're doing a survey. We're, we're doing an overview of God's story, okay? God, the, the theme of God's story, all right? Now, I want you to turn to page two in your binders, and I want you to look at, uh, you should have a whole list of icons with some, some words right beside it, okay? Does everybody find that? So it should be uh, page two. Um, hold it up. Let me see if you got it. Let me, yep, that right there. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, good, good. Okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through those, okay, one by one, and we're going to identify them, and then we're going to practice, okay? Uh, please give me your participation. Um, I did not bring any candy. We, we throw candy to the kids, but I, I'm not above that, and I and we can go get some. If that, if that does it, I'll chuck candy at you, and, and I'm good with that, okay? Uh, all right, so first icon there, uh, it just represents creation, okay? So you've got, you've got you know, uh, the sun, a tree, a fish, and some people, okay? So obviously, uh, you know, that's what we came up with for the kids. So this, this symbolizes creation, okay? So everybody say that. Ready? Very good. What's the next one, okay? Next one is fall. Okay, so we got creation fall. Now, this one you've got a tree, you've got a serpent, you've got some fruit, you got a hand taking it out. You probably see where we're going there, right? We're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but, that, but that's fall. So let me hear that. So at the beginning is what? And then, very good. See how easy this is? I don't even have to give you candy. All right, the next one, I bet you can guess what that is, right? What is that? There's a flood, right? You got Noah's Ark on the water. So, uh, so first of all, you just open up your Bible, you're going to find. Creation, and then, and then, oh, this is going to be awesome. All right. Now, this one's a little harder because we, we are trying to figure out how to, how to illustrate this, but this is promises, okay? Now, if you're, if you're theologically minded, whenever you think promises, you might think covenant, okay? Because that's actually a better word, but, but again, we did these with the kids, and, and we felt like with the kids, promises was probably better. It probably resonated better. I'm going to teach you the same ones that we teach the kids because they're your kids, okay, or your grandkids, and so I want you to kind of be on the same page with them. So this represents Abraham. And uh, you, you know the stars. Remember the pro first promise God gave Abraham: "Your sins are going to be as many as the stars of the heavens." Okay, so so th that that's why there's stars there. So this represents promises. Okay, promises. So let's begin from the top. Ready? We got. Excellent. Let's keep going. Uh, next icon is 
Mr. Billy. There it is. Okay, you've got Exodus. Okay, so we got a picture of Moses here parting the Red Sea. Okay, the water's coming up. Uh, the word Exodus, uh, that's a tricky one for you. That's probably not one you use every day. Just think exit. Okay, They're, they are exiting out of Egypt. All right, so God's people are exiting. They're, it's the Exodus. Okay, they're going out of Egypt. All right. And so we'll get to that next Wednesday. That's where we'll start is with ex, uh, the Exodus. Okay, so ready? You got... All right, you guys, are you memorizing these? Do you have them memorized? Yeah, you're not even looking? All right, we've got a crown here, okay? Kings, all right? So there's a large portion of the Old Testament um, that is is the kings of Israel, okay? You start out with uh, with Saul, and then you go to David and Solomon, and then, man, you got then you got the kingdom splitting, and you got, you know, the, the northern kings and the southern kings, the kings of Ephraim, uh, and the, the kings of Judah. And so a lot of your Bible, as, as the kings, kind of moving again toward the king of kings. One of the reasons we chose to... Uh, uh, to illustrate these next two kings and prophets, we, we, we decided to, to use them that way because Jesus is our king and he is our prophet, okay? So when you're telling God's story, everything's going to Jesus, right? Everything's going to Jesus. And so one of the reasons we, we decided to do kings is, is because Jesus is our king. And so uh, a lot of the Old Testament is the kings of Israel, all right? So start from the top again. We got creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, and then the next one is a prophet. That guy looks like a prophet, doesn't he? Uh, sort of. That's kind of what I picture. And so you've got uh, much of the Old Testament is the prophets, okay? You got Isaiah, you got Jeremiah, you got Hosea, and, and Malachi, and Joel, and Nahum, and Habakkuk, and, and all those guys. You got Elijah and Elisha, and we'll talk about all those next time. But, but those are the prophets, all right? And Jesus is, is, is a prophet for us as well, okay? So everything's pointing to Jesus, all right? The prophets point to Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus is our prophet. All right, so let's start over. Ready? Creation, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets. All right, the next one, uh, we chose to go ahead and use the theological term, okay? So if you, if you ask your kids or grandkids, if they're in our teen kid program, and if you ask them about incarnation, they should know what that means, all right? We decided to use the word incarnation because we think it's a significant uh, theological word, okay? And basically, incarnation means, in summary, God taking on human flesh, okay? So God steps out of the heavens and puts on human flesh. God, God becomes man, okay? So God becomes man. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, and so that is represented theologically with the word incarnation, okay? So it'd be the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, all right? But, but really, what we, what we want you to see there is God becoming man, okay? So incarnation, all right? Ready? Start over. Here we go. Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation. All right, the next one is kingdom. All right, now... The reason we chose kingdom is what we wanted to do is we wanted to represent the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, all right? So you've got um, you've got three years, really, uh, three years of his ministry, okay? Now, again, you're like, man, that's such a small slice of the Bible, right, when you think about it in terms of time, but it's it's incredibly significant, isn't it? I mean, so you've got the life of Jesus, you've got God becoming man, and then in the ministry of Jesus, you have him showing us what the kingdom is like okay what does john the baptist say when 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 he comes on the scene 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. What does Jesus say when he comes on the scene? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Okay? And then Jesus lives out the kingdom of God by, by healing and doing miracles and his teaching and, and, and everything that Jesus did in his ministry. That was showing us, hey, here's a picture of the coming kingdom. All right? You're seeing, you're seeing how Jesus is going to make all things new okay? in his ministry. So does that, does that make sense? We'll get to it. All right? So that's kingdom. All right? Start over. Here we go. Creation, fall, flood. Promises, Exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, and then, wow, here we go, man. Wow, the, the pivotal, okay, the pivotal moment in the scriptures where Jesus Christ gives his life for us on the cross. We're going to call this cross, okay? Everything's leading to the cross in, in the scriptures, and um, so that's obvious. Ready? Start over. Creation. Flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, and I bet you can guess what's after cross, right? Resurrection, coming up on Easter Sunday, resurrection, all right? So Jesus rises from the dead, all right? If that doesn't happen, then we don't need to be in here doing this, okay? We need to be doing something else. Paul says, eat, drink, and marry. Be married for tomorrow you die, okay? If there's no resurrection, none of this matters. If there is a resurrection, so it matters eternally okay this is the only thing that really matters right okay so resurrection are you guys getting tired of saying these over and over huh we're, we're learning them though this is how we do with the kids right you you're actually gonna have to have these memorized if you're gonna tell somebody kind of the story of redemption because this is the the framework we're gonna do it in all right so ready start over here we go um fall flood promises exodus kings prophets incarnation kingdom cross resurrection and now the period we're in right now, okay? So we, we are still in this period. Here's, here's, here's where we connect to the story is we're in the period of the church, okay? So, so starting in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you've got Jesus ascending into heaven. Uh, you got him commissioning his disciples. You've got Pentecost coming, the Spirit of God coming down, and bam, the church is born. And then the rest of the New Testament is really kind of, you know, letters to the churches and the history of the church in the book of Acts. And, and, and so we're still in this period of the church. So here's where we kind of intersect into God's story of redemption. We're in this one, okay? So put your put your face up there in that that uh, one of those windows, all right? Not the church in the sense of a building, Um we're not saying that. We know the church is people, but that's that's our icon to represent um, the church. Okay, so start over. Here we go. Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, and here we go. This is what's to come. Second coming. All right. So that's kind of the the closure of God's redemption story. That's where it ends up. He's over here. Uh, go over around the other way. No, go the other way. You're going to chase him. Oh, you're looking for your grandma. Oh, sorry. You don't need your dad. He's not significant. You need grandma. She got shoes. So this, this closes up the story, right? Right? I mean, that, that's kind of the way uh, the Bible kind of happens. You begin with creation. You end with Jesus splitting the skies, coming back to get his people and take them to the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? So uh, second coming is, is the closure of our story. That's, that's what, yet, what yet to come, okay? So one more time. Try it without looking. If you haven't tried it without looking, you have to try. It's okay to mess up. You'll just say something when nobody else is, and, you know, you'll get a little embarrassed. But it's all right because we, we're going to learn this, okay? Ready? So creation, 
fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection. I got to tell you a funny story. Um, we're, we're doing this, and we build it up with the kids. You guys are, are, are a little little subdued okay but they're getting candy chucked at them too you know and we ask we ask questions you know and so uh we get to this one and i always ask some questions you know i want you know church what's next Saturday coming you know joe candy and then uh, and then I, I ask a question you know every time and i'm like and what's jesus gonna come riding on you know when he comes back and and i pick this kid and this kid he was standing and he's like a unicorn you know and, and right after he says it, you can tell he's like, oh, that's not right. You know, everybody's just a little pause and everything, you know. But and so the next week we come back and we're doing it again. You know, we do it every every time, 14 kids and we're doing it again. And, and we go through, you know, church, you know, what's next? Second coming, you know. And I didn't even get the question out. I was like, and what's Jesus? He's like, a white horse. You know, he jumps up. He's not going to redeem himself. So, uh, all right. So that's, that's your framework. We're going to do those over and over. If you'll just bear with me, okay? I, maybe it's silly. I, maybe it is, but I, I, we're going to learn them that way. And, and you really need that kind of framework. That's the way my brain works anyway. When I'm, when I'm going to tell the story, I'm, I'm going to use those, okay? Now, I'm not just going to tell somebody, you know, if they come up to me at Walmart, hey, tell me the story of God. And I'm like, oh, Christian, fall, look, right? You know, I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not very helpful. But what I can do is say, well, you know, in the beginning, God, creation i can think creation well in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth you know and and, and you know everything was perfect and they were in the garden of eden and then fall and then you know they're, they're, man fell into sin and and, and and man multiplied on the earth and then flood and so then there was a worldwide flood okay so you see how you can use that you'll be able to use that to tell the story of God, and e even better, I think, is as you're studying the scriptures, as you hear sermons, Bible studies, you're going to have some kind of framework to put that stuff in, so that so that when you hear a story about David and Goliath, you're just not like, okay, where is that? You know, were David and Abraham buddies? Were they living at the same time, or were David and Nehemiah buddies? You know, or were David buddies with anybody? You know, who, who you know, where, where does he fit in in the story of redemption? So that is our overview okay so let's let's start our first one is creation all right so we're going to begin with creation and again we're just going to do a quick overview what what's in the story of creation uh where is it at first of all it's it's in the beginning of your bible it's in genesis 1 and 2 uh the bible begins in verse 1 saying in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, okay? And there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning in the first day. And so you have six days of creation in which God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, it is very significant, and it will be throughout the rest of the Bible, that God speaks creation into being, okay? God creates the world out of nothing. If, you, if, you were, if you've been going through our, our Hebrew series with us on, on Sunday morning, uh, you know that uh, we've been in chapter 11, and chapter 11 says in verse 3, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God speaks into being. Whatever God, God just 
in the rain stuff, okay? Some of you guys are builders, you're creators, but you know what you do? You arrange raw materials, right? I mean, someone someone gives you paint, right? Someone gives Pastor Chris paint, and he comes over and, 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 and he puts that on the canvas. He arranges it in a certain way, and it's awesome, okay? Give me paint, it's not as good, but I can still do something, okay? So, so, but, but here's what, here's what Chris doesn't do. Chris doesn't walk up and say, colors, you know, and, and bam, you know, there it is, or on canvas, you know, he doesn't do that. He takes what, what, what raw materials he has and, and he organizes them in a certain way. If you're, if you're a carpenter, if you're a house builder, same way, okay? But God is different in that God speaks into existence. When the word of God goes forth, it brings into existence, okay, what God says, all right? So, so it's significant in the rest of the Bible. And the reason is because the rest of the Bible is going to make a huge deal of the word of God. Again, we've been in Hebrews. And so, for instance, Hebrews 4.12 is going to say the word of God is living, active, sharpening, two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. Or over in the book of James... It talks about uh, James chapter 1, um, verse um, 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, Jesus is going to talk about um, um, lots of parables about, and he's going to use the word of God as like seed that sprouts and comes up and grows, okay? So uh, in Isaiah, it says God's word accomplishes it what, what it, what it's sent out to do, okay? And so so when we see Genesis 1, we see God speaking creation into existence. That really sets the tone for uh, a, a theme that's going to run throughout the scriptures and that the word of God accomplishes what it, what it purposes, okay? When the word of God gets into the soil of a good heart, of a heart that's plowed up and prepared by the spirit of God, then it's going to bring forth life, Okay, it's going to come alive in there, right? So you got you got the power of the Word of God. Um, one of the great places in the New Testament you find this is Lazarus. You know, Jesus walks up to the tomb, and what does he do? He doesn't say roll away the stone, and then he goes in. He starts doing chest compressions, and you know, Lazarus. You know, yeah, you don't see him doing that. What does he do? Come out, you know, Lazarus, come forth. And then the word of God, all right? That's that's why, you know, Jesus is God. They should have picked up on that, you know? Because Jesus just speaks the guy to life. What he says comes about, right? Okay, so, so you have this theme of God speaking into existence, all right? So in creation, we also have themes like God is owner, God is sustainer. We find that in Colossians. We, we, we find themes about God's purpose, okay? So you're created for a purpose. You're not here just to do your own thing. That's what creation teaches us. You're here for a specific purpose. God created you for his glory, all right? So creation, you have all those things, all right? So you've got God creating everything, speaking into existence, and then you've got God creating man. So let's let's pause a little bit and uh, look at that. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. By the way, really cool thing there, our. Isn't that great? Why our? It's talking about the Trinity. There you got, you got. One of, the, one of the first references to the Trinity, okay? And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the heavens, over the livestock and all the all over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created him. So you're created in a way that is set apart from every other element of creation. You're created in a way that you have a capacity to have a relationship with God that nothing else does. Uh, you're created to, to image forth God in, in, in lots of different ways that we're going to talk about the rest of our study. So man is created in the image of God. 
Also, in the, in our creation story, you've got uh, you've got the lots of beginnings, lots of first. Okay, so you've got the beginning of marriage. So in Genesis two, verse eighteen, it says then the Lord said, uh, Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Why is it not good that we be alone? Well, we're created in the image of God, and God's not alone. Have you ever thought about that? God's existed from eternity past in Trinity, in perfect fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, God, God has a relationship even in himself. God, God's not deficient, by the way. He didn't create us because he wanted pets. You know, he didn't create us because he was lonely and he needed a lap dog to snuggle with. You know, God, no, 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 no. God, God, God is completely sufficient in himself. But God created us in his image. And part of being in his image is that we are relational beings. Okay, and so, so in Genesis 2.18, you, you see God saying, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And so verse 19, so out of the ground, the Lord formed uh, every beast of the field and he has Adam name them. Uh, he causes uh, Adam to go to sleep and takes a rib uh, and he creates woman. And then verse 23, again, I, I got to go fast. I'm sorry, but we just have to, okay, overview. Verse 23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. By the way, this is a psalm. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And his first glimpse of woman and he sings, okay, all right. He's like, man, that's not a giraffe. That's 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 not a monkey. That's a woman, and he sings, okay? And then you got verse 24, our first instructions about marriage. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, okay? So you got a ton of stuff packed in there. Uh, it's not good to be alone. You're going to leave and cleave. You're going to become one flesh, okay? One flesh. Obviously, that refers uh, to some degree to the sexual union, but but it's going to refer to even, again, we've got shadows of things to come. It's going to refer to, to, to Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 tells us that marriage is a picture of Jesus' love for his church, okay? That's that's the that's the metaphor. That's the picture that, that Paul gives us and says, man, this is why, this is why you're created male and female. You know, it's, you're gonna in your marriage, you're going to live out the literal picture of Jesus and his church. You're, you're going to live it out badly. You're going to live it out well, but you're going to live it out, okay? And so you've got this one flesh union, picture of Christ in the church, okay? So creation, uh, that pretty much, we're going to sum it up that way. Uh, you've got a little key people uh, section there. I would say the Trinity. <laughs> Trinity's not people, but key characters. Uh, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, evolved in creation. You've got Adam and Eve, okay? So that completes our first section. All right, so what was that? That was, so when you open up your Bible, you're going to find creation, right? Okay, the next thing you're going to find is what? Fall, right? So creation, fall. Um, let's just stop right now and let's go ahead and say our deal again, all right? Just, just humor me, all right? Let's just see if it works, all right? Ready? Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, Church, second coming, all right? There's the story of redemption. All right, so you got fall. Okay, the fall is going to be basically Genesis 3 through 5 is, is essentially what we're going to call the fall of mankind. And so what do you have? You have in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, you have a new character into the scene, okay, the serpent. Now, in Genesis, it doesn't identify who the serpent is. We assume it is the devil. But in Revelation, it goes ahead and tells us that, that Satan is the serpent of old, okay? Uh, and so, so got Satan entering into the picture here and, uh, he is tempting Eve and he is tempting Eve 
particularly to doubt God. That's what this whole temptation is about, is that Eve is tempted to doubt God. Let's, let's go ahead and read it. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. He directly contradicts God. God told you a lie. That's what he's saying. God told you a lie. God, God says it's best for you. It's not. I got, a, I got another way that, that's better. It says you shall not die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you should be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God's holding back something good from you. Okay? You see, he's attacking God's character. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, was delight for the eyes, the tree was, desir was desirable to make one wise, she took of her fruit and ate it. And she gave also some to her husband who was, this is an interesting two words, with her, okay? With her. Now, we are really tempted to just blame the whole deal on Eve, right? You know, I'm, I'm ticked off because I got stomach flu and it's all Eve's fault, right? There's mosquitoes, Eve, you know, there's uh, all the bad stuff. Well, but, but what we see here is that God gave the command to Adam. Uh, Adam's responsible for his family. We're going to see that later on very clearly in the scriptures. And Adam's with her, and Adam sure does not lead his family well there, okay? And so, actually, we're in, it moves into the consequences. It says, verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man. Why did he call to the man? Was he confused about who messed up? No, because the guy's responsible for his family, and God is holding him accountable for that. So, you have the serpent tempting Eve. Uh, man, don't don't believe God. You can't trust him. He doesn't have anything good for you. Step out here in this, this what, you, what, what, you, what your eyes tell you. Um, and man falls into sin. Okay, so the result of uh, falling into sin is man has a broken relationship with God. Notice in verse 7. Uh, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed uh, fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They don't want to be with God now. They don't want to be with God. They're hiding from God. God's in the garden, ready to fellowship with him. They don't want to be with God. Why? Because they're sinners now. They've, they've rebelled against God. They feel their guilt. They feel their, their separation from God. Um, Genesis 3, 7 through 13, talk about the consequences. Uh, I'm sorry, that would really be more 14. That, that was wrong. It should be more 14 through 19, 13 through 19. The consequences of sin. So verse 14, consequence on the serpent, because you've done this, curse you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field on your belly, you shall go dust of, you shall eat all the days of your life. And then we'll get to verse 15 in a minute. Uh, verse 16 to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Uh, so the woman gets hit at, at kind of the core of her, her greatest purpose, which is, you know, bearing children, bringing life into the world. And now that's going to be a painful thing, by the way, not only to have them, but also to raise them is going to be a painful thing. Um, and, and then, then, you know, right at the heart of her relationship with the man. Now she's, she's got a desire to control him. Uh, where did I get that? Well, we'll go to chapter four and, uh, we'll use those same words and we'll see that sin is crouching at the door in verse seven of chapter four. And, and when you interpret those the same, I believe that's exactly what it's saying to Adam verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I command you should not eat of it. Curse of the ground because of you and pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. You shall eat of the, the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. 
man's purpose. He's got the mission. He's, he's, he's going to work. He's going to be for the provider. And now that's all going to be terribly hard. Okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. Um, before the fall, when customers came in, they were all pleasant and very amiable and, and just did whatever. Now they're going to gripe and complain and, 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 and you're going to have drought and weeds and everything's going to work against you, um, because of sin entering into the world. Okay. So, You've got, you've got the fall of man and the consequences of fall. And pretty much what happens in chapter 3, the rest of the Bible is the plan to fix it. Okay, It's, it's the plan to, to fix what happens in Genesis 3. All right, So you got Genesis 1 and 2. God creates this perfect world. It's all good. Remember what he says after every day of creation? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Okay, chapter 3, fall into sin. Uh, all these consequences, separation from God. And now God launches the redemption plan, the rest of the Bible, to bring man back into a relationship with himself, okay? In verse 23, uh, Adam and Eve are sent out from the garden. Uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, uh, sin spreads. So Adam and Eve have a couple sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, we looked at this a couple weeks ago in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Uh, Cain kills Abel. Um, Sin spreads the murder quickly, and then you've got a bunch of a uh, bunch of kind of unsavory characters in the rest of chapter four. And then in chapter five of Genesis, by the way, this is not theological at all, okay? But just to help you remember it, Genesis chapter five is a bunch of old guys, okay? So that's the way I remember chapter five. It is basically the descendants of uh, of Adam. And you've got this, this ungodly line, Cain, and you've got this godly line, Seth, okay? So Seth was the third son of Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis chapter 5, you've got a bunch of guys living a long time, okay? 800, 900 years, okay? So let's kind of walk through in our minds. Let's, can, we, can we just walk through Genesis, okay? So Genesis 1 and 2, you got what? Creation. In Genesis 3 and 4, you got what? Fall. In Genesis 5, you got a bunch of old dead guys, right? A bunch of really old guys. And so they multiply and uh, sin multiplies. And then, bam, we'll get to the flood here in just a second, okay? Now, key people in this section. Um, you got the devil. Uh, you've got Adam and Eve. you got Cain and Abel. you got Seth. Those are the main key people. The devil, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Seth. And now you got another little section here in your paper, on your books. Are you following me, by the way? Is this going? I have not even looked at these books. Today was going to be the day to review all this stuff, and it did not work that way. I had one of the weirdest days of my life, and it started early, and I'd tell you stories, but it, I mean, it was just strange, the, the stuff that happened today. So I just want to make sure that the books are following right. But you should have a gospel thread section. Do you see that? Is there gospel threads? Okay. So... We're going to try to do this um, in, in most of these. Gospel threads are, are, are clear signs that point us to, to the gospel, okay? Because you see the gospel all through the scriptures, all 66 books. Okay, so what we see here in Genesis 3.15, you have what's called the Proto-Evangelium, or however you want to pronounce it. I probably didn't do a good job there. But what it means is the first gospel, all right? So in Genesis chapter 3, Man, everything falls apart. Man is separated from God. The consequences of sin come crushing down upon him. And right away, God launches the rescue plan. Okay, and it's Genesis 3.15. It's his words to the serpent. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so who's the woman's offspring? 
By the way, I'm not sure that Eve knew. I, I think she probably thought it was Seth, you know? And in a way, it was Seth, because through Seth comes the, the, the godly line, okay? Or, or, or maybe she thought it was Cain, actually. She probably thought it was Cain initially, you know? Uh, um, but, but it wouldn't be. It would, it would, it would, she's talking about Jesus, okay? Uh, he's, talking about, he's talking about Jesus. God's talking about Jesus here. Uh, the woman's offspring is Jesus, okay? That's, that's the redeemer that's to come, all right? And what's he going to do to Satan? Okay, he's going to crush his head. All right, what, what's, what's Satan, the serpent, going to do to Jesus? He's going to bruise his heel, okay? He's going to give Jesus a non-lethal blow, and Jesus is going to stomp his head. Jesus is going to crush him, okay? So you got, you got the first gospel right there in Genesis 3.15. Uh, a look way ahead that says, God says to, to the serpent, man, the woman's going to have an offspring, and he's going to crush your head. You know, he's going to, he's going to fix this. Isn't that cool? I like it a lot, more than you, but just by your face. Um, so, gospel thread. There's the first gospel. Okay, look in verse 21. We see another kind of picture here. Jesus 3, 21. And the Lord God made, made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. All right. They're naked and ashamed, and, and God covers them. See, see the metaphor there? God covers them. What does he cover them with? Skins. How do you get skins? What do you got to do to the animal before you get a skin? You got to kill it. So right away, something dies. Blood is shed. And Adam and Eve are covered. They're covered. God covers them. You see the picture of the gospel there? God covers them. Um, something has to die. Blood has to be shed. God covers them. All looking forward to what God's going to do through Jesus. Okay. So, there we go. Let's start from the beginning. We got creation, fall, next is flood. Okay, here we go. Flood is Genesis 6 through 11, all right? So uh, uh, hopefully we're kind of getting our head around Genesis, right? One and two are creation. Three and, and four are, are fall. Five is all the old the old guys, you know, the, the world increases and spreads and, and wickedness spreads. And then chapter six, You've got, you've got the beginning of the flood, okay? So chapter 6 begins talking about the saturation of wickedness on the earth, okay? Verses 1 through 8 are all about uh, how wicked man has become. Uh, let's look at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and grieved and grieved into his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made, made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you've got the saturation of wickedness on the earth. And then you have the faith of Noah, okay? Uh, Noah's not perfect. Noah was a sinner. Uh, but God gave grace to Noah, uh, and, and, and Noah had faith in God. And uh, so Noah builds the ark. He listens to the Lord. I, I don't feel we got to spend much time on this because we just spent Sunday on it. Most of you are here Sunday. And so uh, we went through uh, the account of the flood. Um, but, but basically, you got God's judgment on the world, okay? And then you've got uh, Noah coming out of the ark in chapter 8. And in verse 20, I think he does a significant thing here. Noah built an altar. He comes out of the ark. <clears throat> he builds an altar to the Lord. And he takes some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Okay? So, again, you got, you got, you got judgment coming down. And you got immediately Noah is offering sacrifice and offering to the Lord. And then you have, you have God making a covenant to, to Noah. Okay? This is going to come into play 
the next section big, okay? But you, you've got God being a covenant-making God. So God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I'm going to make you a promise, okay? Ne ne never again will I, will I flood the earth again. And, and, and you got, got Noah making a, this covenant with God. By the way, uh, this is not really pertinent to the gospel story, but I've always thought that chapter uh, 9, verse 8 was... I shouldn't even say this. This is going to get us off track. But I've always thought it was a great um, verse to consider when you're thinking about capital punishment. Uh, you have this noadic covenant. Whoever sheds the blood of man by, by man shall his blood be shed for uh, God made man in his own image. Uh, God comes back and says, man, human beings are, are incredibly special. Not because of what they do, they're sinners, but because they're made in the image of God. There's this cracked image that God is redeeming. Okay, so you have, you have this covenant God's making. Um, verse 12 of chapter 9, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you. For all future generations, I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Uh, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. Okay, so um, <clears throat> key people. Uh, let's, let's, chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, by the way. We're not going to spend much time on that. Um, they come out of the ark. God tells them to multiply on all the face of the earth. You know, multiply. Uh, team on the earth, multiply. And they gather together and try to build uh, their own kind of tower to their own glory. And so God scatters their languages. Okay? So you got um, judgment. Uh, the big thing about the flood is the judgment of God. We're going to look at that in Gospel Threads here in just a second. But you got the judgment of God. Uh, you got them coming out. Noah offering sacrifices. God making covenants to Noah. And then they're supposed to multiply on the earth and, and, and subdue it. And they all gather together. And you got the Tower of Babel, and God says, no, we're not going to do it this way. He scatters their languages. They all speak a different language. They, they, they scatter across the face of the earth, okay? And that leads us to promises. So, gospel threads for the flood. Um, first of all, you've got God's judgment. If you look in your New Testament, um, Jesus is going to use the flood um, in reference to the coming judgment, okay? So, Matthew 24 uh, verse 37, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Um, God's going God's gonna to judge. God's going to judge all mankind. You know, and if you have any doubt about that, uh, you shouldn't because he's already done it. You know, those people that say, you know, I, I just don't believe that God will. I saw it on, on a social media uh, just today, uh, someone, one of our church members sent me a, a little screenshot of, of this person. And then they're saying, you know, Jesus said, you know, don't judge. God's not going to judge. I'm like, look at the flood. You know, God killed everything on the planet except what was in the ark, you know. And, and you're telling me that God, God's not going to do this? He, it's going to happen. You know, he's already done it. He's already given this gospel picture that sin will be judged, Okay. And so you got judgment. Uh, in fact, Second Peter is another good flood reference. These are gospel threads. Second Peter, um, chapter two, verse five. 
Uh, let me read verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and co committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then he keeps giving examples, Sodom and Gomorrah, and basically the, the emphasis is God knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. In other words, God's going to judge the unrighteous and he's going to save the righteous in the ark for us in Christ, okay? Um, baptism, by the way, is uh, is pictured from the ark. That's in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, 20, 21, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of, of not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. In other words, it's not the water that saves you. It's it's the, the heart of uh, connection to Jesus that saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you got baptism, you got God's judgment, you got baptism, and then you got the ark that is a picture of salvation uh, in Christ. All right, we good? All right, we got one more to go through. This is kind of a big one. So that's why we kind of sped, and now we're going to hopefully have time for the last one. But before we do that, you like it. You're starting to like it, aren't you? Yeah, good. Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, second coming. All right, let's look at promises, okay? Promises begins in Genesis 12, all right? So uh, let's just review Genesis real quick. So Genesis 1 and 2 are creation. Genesis 3 and 4 are Five is old uh, old guys that died, right? Six, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten are flood. Eleven is Tower of Babel. We probably didn't emphasize that much. And now you got twelve, okay? Twelve is incredibly significant because it begins kind of God's covenant with his covenant people, his promises, okay? So chapter 12 starts out, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then everybody, here it is. Are you ready? Get on pins and needles. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? It's huge. God takes this guy named Abram. He's out, he's in Ur, mind his own business. And God appears to him and says, look, Abram, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the, the stars of the heaven. I'm going to give you a land that's going to be yours. And in you, in you, in your family, through your family, all the families of the entire earth are going to be blessed. Okay? So, incredible promise made to Abram. Okay? Now, what you're going to see is, is this is the beginning of, of God's people, okay? So, so you got God making this promise to Abram, and then the rest of the Bible, really, the rest of the Old Testament, is, is following the people of God, okay? Right? Does that make sense? So you got, God makes this promise to Abram, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, in your family, all right? And so, so when Abram has a son, what do we begin to do? All right, all right, it's Isaac now, right? It's Isaac. Right? Then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And I, ooh, which one's the promise going through? Well, it's going through Jacob, right? 
And then Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then there's a nation. And then the rest of the Old Testament is following the promises through the nation of Israel. Now, here's the suspenseful part, suspenseful part of, this, of the story is all throughout the Old Testament. If you're reading this like a story, you're like, okay, man, everything's riding on this guy's family. Everything's riding on, on this guy and, and his children, okay, and his descendants. Because through him, that's where salvation is going to come to all the families of the earth. And then right away, though, you see this thing in jeopardy constantly, okay? So God tells Abram, you know, through you, um, all the families of the earth can be blessed through your son, through your descendants, okay? What happens? Well, immediately in verse 10, there's a famine in the land, and Abram goes down to Egypt and sojourn there for the famine, and when he's about to enter Egypt, he says to Sarai, his wife, man, guys, just ladies, sometimes we just do dumb things, okay? And you just, you got to be okay with that, all right? Because it's just always been that way, all right? And guys, sometimes we do dumb things, all right? Abram says to Sarai, his wife, I know you're a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me. They'll let you live. <laughs> so say you're my sister, that it may will go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared. Abram, man, he's not walking by faith, is he? He's, he's just thinking, man, we got a famine. We got to go to Egypt, foreign nation. They're going to kill me. God's promised me that, you know, through me, all the nations there are going to be blessed. So, so hey, he, he concocts this great, terrible plan, okay? Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Sarah must have been, she must have been a knockout. Um, saw that she was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Ah! Okay, are you reading it? I mean, do you see the tension there? Oh, no! I mean, imagine if you're reading this story for the first time. All right, you know, man, man has fallen into sin, separated. The thing gets so evil, God's got to wipe out the whole earth in a flood, you know? And, and now there's one family, and, and now they're building over again, and, and they're scattered across the earth, and and now God makes this great promise, man, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And now this guy's already lost his wife, you know, two verses. He doesn't, he's lost his wife. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Who's Sarah, by the way? Abram is Abraham. Sarai is Sarah. They get renamed. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what's this you have done to me? Why'd you not tell me? Why'd you tell me she was your sister? Why'd you tell me she was your wife? Why'd you say she's my sister? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pharaoh gives her back and he, he never slept with her. He never defiled her. So, God rescues. Okay, you know what you're going to see through the rest of the Old Testament? That's not that significant of a story, but I want to show you that the rest of the Old Testament is either the people of God are messing it up or they're being attacked. One or the other. Sometimes both, okay? And God is rescuing, 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 rescuing His promise all through the Old Testament, okay? Why? God's going to be faithful to promise, Okay? It's not because these are so great people. Man, they do some incredibly stupid things because they're just like us. Okay, but God said, I'm going to be faithful to my promise. I'm going to protect the promise. So is that, is, that, is that helpful? Does that give you kind of a framework for the rest of the Old Testament? Um, all right, so Genesis 13, what do you got? Well, you got Abram and Lot. They got problems. They're fighting. Lot's his nephew, and, and then Lot gets in trouble, and, and Abraham's got to go rescue him. And then in verse 17, you've got Melchizedek. We'll look at that in just a second. Okay, if you've been here through our Hebrew series, you know how significant that is. You got this Melchizedek who pops on the scene, and all of a sudden Abraham is, is giving a tenth. He's tithing. How did Abraham know to tithe? The law wasn't 
written yet. All right, but he's tithing to Melchizedek, who's this priest, the Most High God, without origin, you know, beginning or end. Okay, so so you got Melchizedek popping in. I I, I heartily believe that before the New Testament writ, was written, nobody, the greatest Jewish scholars, had not a clue what Melchizedek was about. I, I can't prove that, but I, I just think they were like, I don't know why that guy's there, you know. And all of a sudden, bam, the New Testament phew, makes everything make sense. Over here. Um. All right, so you got Melchizedek, uh, Genesis 15. Okay, we got we got a significant passage here, all right? So Genesis 15, um, the Lord renews his covenant with Abram. Okay, you're going to see this happening a lot. Okay, but the Lord kind of formalizes his covenant with Abram. And so uh, beginning in verse um, 3, uh, no, no, let's, let's, let's just start with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Uh, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I'm, I'm childless, and the heir of my, my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's his servant. And Abram said, uh, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This shall not be your heir. You, your very own son, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6. Incredibly significant verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, we're going to come back to that in our gospel thread portion, okay? But you see what's happening there? Um, Abraham's trust in God, okay? He's saying, God, I, I don't have any kids. You told me this whole thing rides on my family. I don't have, again, you see the tension? God's a great story writer, isn't he? You know, it all, it all depends on Abraham's family. He can't have kids, and he keeps losing his wife to foreign dignitaries, you know? I mean, how's this going to happen here, you know? All right, so, so, all right. God renews the covenant. By the way, the rest of chapter 15, all of chapter 15 is about a covenant, okay? You're going to see some really freaky stuff if you read the rest of chapter 15, where, where God cuts these animals in half and makes them pass, the smoking pot passes through. But it was all covenantal language. That's In those days, when they made a covenant, they would have kind of a ceremony. It's all a covenantal ceremony. God's saying, I promise you, you're going to have a son. Oh, you're going to have a son, but your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the heaven. And through your family, all the families of the earth can be blessed. That's how big this is, Abraham. So God makes a covenant, okay? 16. You got more tension. What's Abram do? Well, ladies, sometimes you do really dumb things, all right? So do we, all right, but what, is, what does Saray do? Well, she's got a female servant. She's like, okay. Again, they're trying to figure out, okay, how's this going to happen? We are old. We are old people, you know? Uh, we, don't, we don't have children, but God's made this promise, and it's impossible, aren't you? So Saray's thinking, maybe he means through my servant, you know? I can have children through her. And so she goes to her husband. She goes to Abraham, and she says, hey, honey, would you be willing to marry this hot young chick, you know, and and have, you know, hey, guys, sometimes we do dumb things, you know, and he says, yeah, okay, and so he has a son through Hagar, and his name is Ishmael, and this is a bad deal. Um, God blesses Ishmael, multiplies him, but you have you have the beginning of conflict and strife in the Middle East. Um, starting here, God's got to say, no, 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 
Abraham, you're going to have your own son by Sarah, your wife. Okay? 17, uh, Abraham circumcised, sign of the covenant. And uh, Isaac is promised uh, his birth again. Go to 21. Um, by the way, you got Sodom and Gomorrah happening in 19. If you've ever wondered where does that fit in. Uh, again, Lot. Remember how Lot separated from Abraham? And so he goes and lives. And he goes and lives by Sodom, right? And then pretty soon he's living in Sodom, right? And, and bad things, wicked city, God's judgment. Again, I just can't believe. I can't see how people read the Bible and say God won't judge sin. The flood, right away again, Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to judge sin. Again, it's pictures of the gospel, okay? Um, first, chapter 21, 21 and 22, Isaac is born, okay? Bam! Abraham's a hunter. Uh, Saray is uh, 90, I think. Yeah. Okay, by now she's Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah are 190. They have this miracle child, Isaac, okay? Chapter 25, Isaac grows up, gets great wife, Rebecca, and uh, Isaac has two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau. Do you remember the, uh, the conflict with the boys, even from the womb? They come out, Jacob's grabbing onto his heel, uh, heel grabber. Um, verse 23 of 25, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Again, more more. More strife is going to come about from these two two nations. Um, Esau sells his birthright at the end of chapter 25. He comes in. He's hungry. He's been hunting. Um, he wants something to eat. Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. Esau didn't care about that. He didn't care about spiritual things. He didn't at this time anyway. Um, so he, he steals the birthright. Um, Jacob tricks his brother uh, with his mother's help. And he receives the blessing. So now, now it's going through Jacob, right? Which we learn from the New Testament. God planned it all along. Um, so, you know, God, God's not at the mercy of man, by the way. You know, he, he's, he's working his plan even through man's deception. So now the, the blessing is through Jacob, right? So let's, let's think about this. So who's the blessing? Who's the promise originally to? Abraham. Abraham's son is Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Jacob and Esau, the promise is going through Jacob. Very good, very good. Um, Jacob uh, goes and uh, gets a, uh, well, he thinks he's getting a wife. He works seven years for a gal that he loves with all his heart. Dads, sometimes we do really dumb things. And uh, dad's got to get rid of Leah somehow. And so he, uh, he veils up Leah. Jacob marries her by mistake and in the morning ah it's leah that's great it's a great verse in the bible it pretty much goes just like that in the morning he wakes up behold leah yeah what normal and uh so then he works another seven years for uh for rachel and uh they start having babies and man all the guys like 29 and 30 because um these two gals are fighting over who gets to to sleep with jacob with the, the guy you know and they're, they're trying to out-baby each other. And Leah is just winning big time. Um, she's having all the kids. Finally, God opens up uh, Rachel's womb. She has Joseph and Benjamin, two very significant sons. Um, so Jacob has, Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. Those twelve sons would turn into the 
12 tribes of Israel, right? So we're going from, from the one family and we're moving to a nation, right? The, the nation of Israel, the, the Jews, okay? So is everybody following me? The whole purpose of this thing is that you get the story, okay? So if, we'll have questions here in a minute. But um, So you got Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. The promise goes through Jacob. Uh, Jacob has 12 sons through Rachel and Leah, okay? And those would later be the 12 tribes. Now, it's a little bit more confusing than that, okay? We'll get to that here in a second. Um, but those there's 12 tribes of Israel, all right? Um, the significant guy here at the end of Genesis is a guy named Joseph. And one of the reasons he's so significant is because he's kind of a picture of Jesus, okay? So uh, you got Joseph, uh, the uh, 11th son, and he has all these prophetic dreams of, of, of his family bowing down to him. He, he foolishly, I guess, shares those with his brothers. They don't take that very well. And uh, they, they uh, throw him in a pit and tell mom and dad he's dead. And then they sell him to, uh, to some traders going to Egypt. And so he, he's, a, he's a slave in Egypt. And then uh, he's tested in Genesis chapter 39. Uh, with Potiphar's wife, he, he J- Joseph is one of the few guys in the Bible that knocks it out of the park the whole time. That's why he's a picture of Jesus. He's not sinless because we know for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but he's a picture of Christ uh, of Jesus and his righteousness. Okay, um, Joseph rises to power in Egypt um, through uh, interpreting some prophetic dreams for some of Pharaoh's servants, and then here comes another famine. Okay, another famine. God's people are starving. Again, you see the conflict here? Promises going through the 12 tribes of Israel now, but these guys are are, are, are starving to death. So they travel to Egypt. A um, bunch of stuff happens. They, they all go to Egypt finally. Um, that's in uh, verse four, chapter, chapter 46. They all go to Egypt, um, and Joseph rescues them all. Okay, And so, so now all all 12 tribes the whole family i think there's what 66 at this time if i remember right of them is that right how many of them, how many of them went to egypt it says huh 72 72 it's like 72 of them in egypt okay and so that's setting us up for what's the next right the exodus right god bringing the nation 400 years later 460 i think out of egypt all right so um review all right so the promise is made to Abraham, right, to his family, right, his descendants. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. The promise goes through Jacob. Jacob, through Rachel and Leah, has how many sons? Twelve sons, right? Uh, One of them gets sold into slavery into Egypt, rises to power, to prime minister, there's a great famine where, where their, their lives are in danger. They travel to Egypt for food. Aha! Joseph's there. Joseph rescues them. Now they're in Egypt, okay? And so when we pick up next time, <clears throat> we're going to pick up with the Exodus, all right? Let's talk about Joseph for just a little bit. How is Joseph a picture of Jesus? Let me hear some stuff. What do you think? It's a beloved son of his father, right? Beloved son of his father, betrayed and hated by his brothers, sold for pieces of silver, okay, just like Jesus, remember that? Jesus was beloved son of his father, betrayed by his brothers, sold for pieces of silver. Um, he, he goes through testing unscathed, okay, he maintains his righteousness. Um, he, uh, he rescues uh, God's people, 
Uh, he forgives their sin. So lots of kind of cool imagery there of Joseph and Jesus. All right, so gospel threads. All right, key people, key people. Abraham, Sarah, Lot, Melchizedek, uh, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, Joseph would be, I think, the main key people. Um, gospel threads. Um, you got the blessing to the world through Abraham's family. And Genesis 12, 3, you've got Melchizedek. All right, now remember in Hebrews, uh, Jesus is being set forth as our high priest. How can Jesus be a high priest? He's not from the right tr- priestly tribe, which is Levi, right? He's not, he's, not a, he's not a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. How can he be a high priest? He's high priest of Melchizedek, all the way back to Genesis 14, right? Where, where here you've got this priest stepping on the stage, and Abraham, through whom all of God's people come, Abraham's tithing, that's what, that's, what, that's what you do to the priest, okay? He's tithing to this guy named Melchizedek. And so Jesus comes from a higher priestly line, okay? So again, picture of the gospel. Um, you got Genesis 15, 6. I said we'd go back to that. Um, let, let me show you why that's so significant, okay? You come over to your Old Testament, and you have a ton of stuff about that verse, okay? Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, Verse 7, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So who's the son of Abraham now? Those who believe God. Okay, you believe God. It was counted in his righteousness. It's not just the Jewish line anymore. Now it's all those who put their faith in, in Jesus, who, who trust him. Verse 8, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you go into Romans chapter 4, uh, almost the whole chapter is about that, that verse. Um, beginning in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul is basically proving justification by faith, not by works. How are you and I saved? We're saved by, by putting our faith in the work, the, the character and the work of Jesus Christ, okay? The word of God. Jesus is the word of God, okay? And as we believe in him, that's how we are made righteous, not because of our own works, but because of our faith in Christ, all right? So, so you have a great picture of the gospel there. Genesis chapter 22, probably the greatest picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. What do you have? You got Isaac being born. Whew! Man, it was a close one, Lord. You made that big promise. I was 100, you know? It wasn't looking good, but now we got a son. God, you did it. You did it, God. All right, give him back to you. Sacrifice him. Kill him. What's Abraham do? He believes God. We're going to talk about it this Sunday. He believes God. God, I don't, I don't, man, I cannot fathom it, God, but I trust you. God, you can raise the dead. That's, that's what he believes. All right, so you got this great picture of the gospel, not only in, in God offering his son, right, sacrificing his son, but you also have great substitutional in that God stops Abraham and then says, I provided a sacrifice, the ram. You know, you have a great picture of substitution. Really, two pictures of the gospel there, okay? Life of Joseph, we already talked about that. Okay, Whew. look at that, look at that. 731, huh? Okay, if you need to go, uh, Team Kid's going to let out in about 15 minutes. So, I mean, you have a little bit of time. If you need to go, go. 
Do you have any questions? Now's our time where I can I can be here for as long. I don't have any duties over there. So do you have any questions? Yes. Can you imagine how Isaac felt? Yeah. Dad, where's the sacrifice? Yes, sir. Brad? It really matters. Why does Abraham and Sarah name change? Um, God's always changing people's names. God does that throughout the scriptures. And so if I remember right, Abram meant uh, father, uh, father of uh, father of multitude. And I think Abraham means father of many nations. So like, it's like a greater, it's even more. Okay. So, so God is, God is basically renaming. God does that a lot with, with people. Whenever he changes you, he renames him. He, he renamed Jacob, Israel, right? He renamed um, Saul to Paul, um, Simon to Peter. So when, when God, God gives you a new name, interestingly enough in India, when you're baptized, when you put your faith in Christ, you get a new name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David Arnie, Galen, those guys that went last time, uh, they got to name some, some new Christians. <laughs> you, you, you get a, a new name, which is, this is not biblical, but well, I mean, the, the concept is, but, uh, whatever your name starts with, they give you a biblical name, you know? So, uh, anyway, I think it's a great picture, right? Because you're new. You're a new person. Guys, I'm going to make you new. Okay? While you're thinking of questions, ready? Creation. That was weak. Let's start over. Creation. Fall. Flood. Promises. Exodus. Kings. Prophets. Incarnation. Kingdom. Cross. Resurrection. Church. Second coming. Awesome. Awesome. Other questions? What we have in, in, in the scriptures is that, that he's got no genealogy. Nobody knows where he comes from, okay? So you have a couple views on that. Uh, one view is that he's the, he is the pre-incarnate Christ, okay? Uh, Jesus showed up in, in the Old Testament several times, and so some people say he's the pre-incarnate Christ. Some people just simply say he was a, he was a, a literal man, but but he's got he's got no genealogy in the Bible, all right. And and so so that enables Jesus to tie right into him because he comes out of nowhere, right? But he's a priest of the Most High God. Some people say he was an actual man who who God appointed as a priest, and and Abraham met him, and Abraham knew that God had appointed him as a priest, and um, made ties him. Do you know what I, I I think he's the pre-incarnate Christ. I go with that view, but the other one's fine. Too. I mean, the, the, the point of it is Jesus is a high priest by the order of Melchizedek, which is a higher order than than that of Levi. By the way, I didn't explain the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so you got, you got 12 tribes of Israel. In your booklet, I think that Michelle got you a little graph with the 12 tribes, okay? you got But you got something funny happening, okay, in that Joseph... Uh, doesn't get an inheritance, all right? Joseph is, is buried in Egypt, all right? And to him, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they, his inheritance goes to them. Levi does not get an inheritance in the land either because Levi is the priestly tribe and Levi is to be supported by God's people, okay? So God's people are to support the priest financially. Uh, their inheritance is the Lord. And so, so you got, when you, when you get into the promised land, that's where this is, gets significant. You get in the promised land and they're dividing up the 12 allotments, okay? Joseph's share goes to Manasseh and Ephraim. So if you take Joseph out, you got 11. You put in Manasseh and Ephraim, you got 13, okay? You take out Levi, you got 12. <laughs> that's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> 
right. Yes, Dave. I'm just, I'm just kind of confused. And, and chapter 30 there talks a lot about Rachel Lamb and, and, you know, God closes her womb, he opens her womb. Uh, every time that it seems like he closes them, these gals bring in a servant. You know, a child is born by that servant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, is, is God blessing all this? Um, I think what you're asking is, that's a big mess. Why'd God use a big mess? Is that essentially? You know, I think what you're going to see throughout the Bible is is just that. I mean, God uses, and, and particularly God almost, when you look at the genealogy, you know, and all of a sudden when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, it begins to make sense why, why, why we're told, you know, there's going to be mess because there's sin. Why are we told it? Judah and Tamar. Okay, we missed that story. Uh, that's a doozy, all right? Where's that at? Um, that's right before Joseph, isn't it? Uh, 38, just 38. All right, you got this really ugly story. I mean, basically, here's what happens. Judah, again, Jesus is going to come through the tribe of Judah, okay? He, this, is, this is the son that's going to, the Messiah is going to come through. And Judah's wife dies, and he's lonely, and he's out with his buddy, and they, they, oh, let me back up. Okay. Um, Judah had uh, a son. He had three sons and uh, gave the first one to Tamar. Um, but this is a wicked guy. God killed him. <laughs> okay. So he gives the second one and, and God kills him. And then the third one, um, the third one's like, okay, I saw I'm one of my brothers. So, you know, I, I, uh, actually the second one, um, he, he doesn't want to give children to Tamar, so he withholds that from her. And so God kills him. And the third one, Judah's like, I'm not giving my third son to you, lady, because you're bad luck, you know? And so she goes and waits. He tells her, hey, go go wait. And when, when you know, what's his name? Shua? Uh, I don't remember. Onan was the second one. Anyway, when he when he's big enough, I'll give her to you. Well, she sees that he's of marriage, marriageable age, and she's not, she's not getting a husband. And so she disguises herself as a prostitute. And uh, is on the road. Judah's out. He's lonely. He's with his buddy. He goes in the prostitute. Doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law. And uh, has sex with her. She conceives. Okay? And when you look in the genealogy, Jesus is coming through that line. You got Rahab, this prostitute in Jericho, who trusts God. She trusts God. You know? And she says, I'd rather be with the people of God than I would my own people. And I, I trust that God's with you guys. And so she hangs a scarlet cord out, and, and she's rescued, and she she becomes an Israelite. Guess guess who the who the line goes through? Rahab, you know. I mean, so you, you have you have this theme, David. Of and I'm not saying that's why. I mean, I I just know you got sin here, um, but but God is using the mess to to bring forth the Messiah. You know. Does anybody else have a better explanation of that? But I think we have to be careful that, that when, when, when tough times come, for instance, you know, Abraham's 100 years old, he's not got a boy. Well, does that justify... It's not, you see what I'm saying? I, I think we have to be careful there that there is times where God puts hardship, but our job is to trust him, you know? And, and what do we see people doing in the Old Testament? They, they fail, right? They, you know, 
Like it's not working. It's not God's not working. So my way, you know, and man, disaster, 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 right? But you see God weaving this beautiful plan of redemption through the disaster. You know, God doesn't cause the sin, but God, God is using it for, for glory and good. Anything else? Basically, we just got Genesis here, right? So the promises go through Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob, 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, right? Joseph rescues them in Egypt. Now they're in Egypt. They're going to be there for about 400 and some years. And next week, God's going to bring them out as a nation, okay? That's called the Exodus. It's significant, very significant theologically, yeah. And not that there's parts of the Bible that aren't, you know, um, but but there's there's just a ton of foundation work made in the book of Genesis. Yep. Okay. Man, it's been fun, guys. Uh, next Wednesday, hope you come back. We'll make more binders. If you didn't get a binder, don't sweat it, and we'll bring you another packet of material uh, next week, okay? Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for your grace and mercy to us. And God, thank you for just uh, your incredible plan of redemption. And God, just using flawed and, and failing people. And God, it, it gives us great hope, Lord, as the church. God, that we've got your spirit. And, and God, that you're going to use us even, even in our, our failings. And Lord, we know that everything's headed toward the, the second coming. And God, we look for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.